0: All right, well, we made it. We had a lot of move a lot of furniture to get ready to go here. Hello, everyone. I'm Luke, and this is Olivia and Sarah. We're sending our greetings around to everyone, the online audience, of course, and those at Edgewood and where Aberdeen, Abingdon, Those are some other campuses, and Mount Road, right here, where we are. Hello to you. You awake? Okay. Here we go. Here we go because we have a ton of fun stuff to talk about today. So much fun. In the series, Force of Habit, if I was going to describe the impact, I think, so far of this series, I would say three words, helpful, hard, and healing. And we hope to bring more of the same today. I mean, we're not really trying to make it difficult, but that is kind of the nature of it when you start to peel back the cover on some of these bad habits and you try to give Jesus access to those. And I particularly was not looking forward to doing this today because we're talking about lust. Um... So, the f- I, you know, I got my, my wife's listening, my 13-year-old daughter is listening, and so the first thing that comes to mind is shame for me. I don't have a big major public ways uh, or shame where lust has gotten the better of me, but lust is something that lodges itself, you know, between the ears and deep in the heart, and it's been a personal struggle for me. And I, su- I suspect that for all of us, it feels like this is kind of private territory, and none of us really wants to confront our shame. But I, I hope that we all hope for something better than just nurturing the bad habits that suck the life out of us. And so we're going to go there. We're going to talk about lust today. And I'm grateful for this to have been a collaborative process and for the insights that you will share. And just, you know, Olivia and Sarah here, they're part of our team. They're not here because they're like the poster children for lust. Um, <laughs> they're not necessarily experts at it or whatever, but they are intelligent, godly women who have uh, great things to share. They're also women, and I'm a man, and they're single, I'm married. We just thought that diversity would be helpful as we bring some perspective on this today. So it's not super comfortable for you either, but just speak for a minute. Why are you glad we're talking about this?
1: Yeah, well, I think, first of all, it makes it a little less scary, right? It takes the air out of the balloon. It gives it less power, right? But it also is a reminder that it's something that all of us are dealing with and going through in whatever way, shape, or form, right? But also, it kind of reminds me about the fact that we all kind of come in here thinking differently about it, right? We all have something that informs the way we make decisions, but I think at that, that means that that changes the way that we view our bodies and the bodies of other people around us. (laughs)
2: Yeah, like these are human experiences that we're talking about here, and our culture has just absolutely elevated the conversation around this and in a way that seems right, and it makes sense, uh, but there's a lot of messaging around sexuality that does sound right, but it is different, and it's in opposition to how God designed our bodies to function within ourselves as well as with one another. God has created and he's designed and wired our bodies with these good intentions, and our culture has a say and it demands to have a say to dictate how we use our bodies. And I also, I'm excited for this conversation because I think the church, while having really good intentions, has missed the mark on this conversation in the past, and the three of us are not experts, like Luke said. Uh, I don't think any of us want to posture ourselves as experts uh, for this conversation But we certainly really want to be a part of the healing and the redemption process around lust uh, and that we can maybe serve as guides for this conversation to take our confusion, to take our pain and our shame in the presence of a loving God who has designed our bodies and given us guidance and wisdom and instruction on how to view our bodies and the bodies of others
0: you're reminding us that what we're talking about today is part of the larger picture of Christian sexuality, of the Christian sexual ethic, you could say. And that's an immense topic. We've dealt with that on different occasions. We won't try to do all of that today to paint a full picture. But uh, to just at least sketch some of the picture and then talk about lust specifically, I think we could say a few things about some of the basic components of the Christian perspective on sex. Number one, sex is good. God made it. Okay. Number two, sex is sticky. Uh, it is meant to bond you to another person in a one flesh kind of a way, and that's very contrary to our cultural belief. It's part of a relationship that's meant to stick and to hold. It is the consummation of this profound union, and I think we're very flippant and casual with it today. We think of it in a no-strings-attached kind of way, and that's just not the biblical picture at all. And then third, sex is boundaried, if I could make that word into a verb, all right? God designed it to happen best in a certain kind of way. And it's consistent with all of creation, sun, moon, stars, days, nights, seasons, all of them having their boundaries all existing to sustain life. When God introduces boundaries for his people, they are meant to promote life and prevent death. And, and we have to figure out if we can trust that, and we'll be challenged in that regard today. So there's more that we could say about the whole picture of Christian sexuality, but just to note those things for now, as we aim to move to talk about lust specifically, and let's just ask an honest question first, like, what's so bad about lust? Okay, so, oh yeah, maybe I'm turned on by that guy or that girl, Uh, you know, I kind of have some fantasies about them, I picture them with no clothes on, or I'm looking at actual pictures of people with no clothes on, or I'm flirting or, you know, carrying on, what's so bad about that? You've probably asked that, you've led groups of girls who've, you know, wanted to talk about that, What, what would you say?
2: Well, I think it's a fair question because culture will say, well, if it's not hurting anybody, then why is that a bad thing? It's something I'm just thinking about or it's in my head, mm-hmm. so why is this a problem? And I think the truth of this is really simple, uh, but it's really cert- simple to say and simple to maybe understand, but I think it's important for us to understand and value the gravity of what it means for how we view ourselves and view others. And I think it's this, is that lust changes the way that we view people to a, a way of a lens of how what they can do for us and then we start to view ourselves as masters and lords over other people and we might not outrightly be thinking that but that's what's going on on a deep level inside of us and that's just not what jesus modeled for us he said i came to be i came not to be served but to serve and he's called every single one of us to live and do likewise in our relationships and so the root of lust, if we really get down to it, it's, it's a desire for ourselves to call ourselves rulers over another rather than be the people that God called us to be, people who are called to live and do differently, which is to serve others. And so when I think about sexual desires, in my mind, they're amoral, which means that they're neither intrinsically good or bad in, a, in and of itself, but consequently, they can be used for good or for bad. And so God designed our biological bodies with sexual desire embedded in them, and when those desires are pursued and honored in a way that God designed, it is good and it is beautiful, and that we're able to experience pleasure and intimacy with one other person in this beautiful relationship, and it's good. But lust is the beginning of when sexual desires become disordered. And sometimes when those disordered desires are acted upon, that's what leads to sexual immorality, which leads to more hurt and more brokenness and more pain in this world. Hmm. Well, I'm thinking about
1: the deeply formed life written by um, Rich Fildos He talks about the way that Adam and Eve even see each other in the garden in the beginning. They look at each other and they see what they like, but their desire is not objectifying. Mm-hmm. And there's something about lust that becomes that objectifying nature. And there's that takes that lust to another level right and he also goes on to say that in that fall it separates the body from the soul something that's supposed to be one um, and that is a huge picture of the way that lust separates us
0: yeah so sexual desire is not wrong we're talking about sexual desire that's not governed by the spirit of god sexual desire that you like you ride that feeling beyond the place of god's boundary even if it doesn't you know go anywhere beyond your head it still can go beyond God's boundary. I was talking to my 13-year-old daughter, just trying to, you know, to tell her what I was going to do this weekend and talk about, uh, just compare and contrast. Love is giving. It's self-giving. Lust is taking. It's self-serving. Uh, love honors the humanity of another person. It wants to build in and amplify their humanity. Lust, like you said, is diminishing that or erasing it entirely, turning that person into an object for, for me to use for my own satisfaction. I'm going to take something from you to fill something in me. But of course, Lust is empty calories, it's titillation and ecstasy and pleasure and that's it, it's just this fleeting feeling. Love can be all of those things. Sex can be great and pleasurable and ecstatic and all of that but it fits within this much more robust uh, substantive context of a relationship and a covenant and a commitment and giving and sharing and communication and all of that together which God pictures as marriage. And to get more of God's perspective on this, I wanna do that but just first, I think it's interesting to note that Christians aren't the only ones that recognize the dangers of lust and porn and and disordered sexual desire. Looking on the website, fightthenewdrug.org, it's a non-religious, non-legislative group that, absent of moral convictions, is also saying, look, porn is killing us. Uh, Intellectually, emotionally, relationally, societally, this, is, this has got, something's got to be done. And so they're just presenting scientific evidence and peer-reviewed peer, peer research. You can look at that on your own. But it is at least interesting to note that in the arena of sexuality, where as a culture, we want to keep God out of that. Like, we'll figure out how to do that on our own. Thank you very much. But even a growing number of people without any Christian, you know, per- persuasion, no skin in the game from a Christian perspective, are recognizing that, wow, there's something dangerous here. There's something not to be messed with here and it could at least point us in the direction of considering that maybe God isn't as dumb as we think he is when it comes to sexuality in general and lust in particular. So anyway, what, what is God saying to us about this? And just real quick, four snapshots from the Bible that contain some wisdom, I think. Number one, opening pages, Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter three, not about lust per se, but it is foundational, okay? How do they respond in the presence of boundaries? God gives them everything they need to flourish. They're they're eating from the tree of life. Ah, but there's something beyond the boundary. They they both see it. Eve first, it's it's a tree. She sees it, it's good and pleasing and desirable, and she takes it. I see it, I want it, I take it. That's kind of the essence of it. I'm not going to be governed, my desires are not gonna be governed by God. If I see it and I say that it will be good for me, then I'm going to take it. That's what lust is about. Another snapshot, 2 Samuel chapter 11, King David, man after God's own heart. Much of the Bible is written about him, and it includes a story. He's out there on the palace, uh, the balcony of his palace one night, and he sees another man's wife, and she was very beautiful, and he took her. Same Hebrew words as in Genesis 3. I see it, I want it, I take it. Uh, My sexual desires are not going to be supervised by anyone other than me. And of course, that idea, you know, that you're supervising and you're free to make your own choices, that has been experienced as a lie by a number of people, particularly consumers of porn, who after a while of making that choice realize all of a sudden I'm not in control of my own choices anymore. My desires are now ruling me. And, And something like that has to be part of what's informing Jesus when he says, third snapshot, Matthew 4. You've heard that it was said. You shall not commit adultery. I mean, it's in the Ten Commandments, right? But I'm telling you, anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And that's when Jesus, he gets real extreme and he says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away because it's going to kill you. He talks the same way about anger and murder. We did that two weeks ago. Even allowing your thoughts to conceive violence against your neighbor, doing that in your mind, that's a distortion of God's design. You nurture those thoughts. You stitch together your emotions around those desires, and it makes your neighbor an enemy to be destroyed in the case of anger or an object to be consumed in the case of lust. And all of that is just dehumanizing, Jesus is saying. And, you know, out of the overflow of the heart, mouth, the, the mouth speaks, the body acts, Jesus says. Proverbs 4 says, above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. And Jesus has that logic going on right here, okay? One more snapshot, fourth one. Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 6. Now, talk about extreme language, 6, uh, 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Not, you know, look but don't touch. Not, oh, a little flirting might be just fine. No, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But if you sin sexually, you're you're sinning against your own body, don't you know? Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you've received from God. You're not your own, you're bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So back to this idea of who's going to govern my desires and my choices. Is, Is it going to be the Spirit of God? Because as Christ followers, the Spirit of God lives in us and promises to be a good guide to lead us to what is good and right and true and beautiful and bearing fruit that leads to life. But if we squash that in favor of letting our primal desires dictate our decisions, well, then it will bear fruit that leads to death. It will uh, get and do a lot of damage along the way. And so the spirit who is in us is saying, don't harbor terrorists. Don't Uh, don't allow sexually impure thoughts and temptations in because they will terrorize you when you welcome them into your head or to your heart or to your house. So flee. Run away from those things. That's how you combat them. And to lust, of course, is to do the opposite. It's to dwell on sexual thoughts, to allow them to move in and to have their way, which, for a given moment, it might stay all in your head or it might lead to masturbation or flirting or sexting or further, but... None of it is from the life of the Spirit in you. It's not part of that fruit. So that's a quick run through. And when I take all of that in, I mean, I'm very aware of that. Uh, I I grew up in the Christian tradition, so I I am aware of that, and I'm aware of how hard of a time I've had living up to that. And I suppose in one way, I'm just cliche, just stereotypical guy in that regard. Um, We often think of lust, I think, as a guy problem. I mean, like a lot of guys. I mean, I saw my first Playboy when I was nine years old, so the distortions have been, you know, deeply rooted and been reckoning with those for a long time. I have to work very hard not to objectify every woman I see, okay? It's just what we're taught to do. The book is called Every Man's Battle for a reason, and I would commend that to you if, uh, especially if you're a guy struggling in this regard. So, Uh, It's real. We'll talk more about kind of what to do in response here, but I do want to invite you into the conversation because it's not just a guy's problem. What is the battle with lust like? Could you speak to that from a woman's perspective?
1: Yeah, I think what's really cool is I'm a student pastor here, so I get the opportunity to work with our students, and we see this in both our guy students and our girl students. Mm. It's not just a problem for one gender, right? It's everybody.
2: Mm. Yeah, so if anybody were to ask, like, hey, is this a girl problem? Well, absolutely. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely an issue for women. And I say that with so much emphasis because there's just been this strong messaging. And I think unintentionally, but especially in the church, that this is exclusively a male issue. Mm -hmm. And just as Luke was pointing out, the statistics point to this and are articulating this for women as well. You can look them up. But the ones that struck me was one in three visitors of all adult websites are women. And women are twice as likely to engage in chat rooms than men. And so, yes, this is an issue for women, and we as the church, we just need to pay attention because we have young girls, we have women within the body of Christ who are feeling deep shame around this. Mm-hmm. And so, actually, if we, if we can just pause here for a second and say this now before we move forward, if you are a girl or if you are a woman who is listening to this right now and you are struggling with porn and lust, I just want you to know this. First, if you've experienced pain from the church, and if you feel like you're extra damaged because of this, then on behalf of the church, we are so sorry for that pain, for not acknowledging it, and we ask for forgiveness. We ask for forgiveness for the church, and we hope that you'll help us move forward together because we need you. And secondly, you are not alone. You are not damaged beyond repair. You are not a mistake. You are God's beloved daughter. Mm. You are precious and you are wonderful to God. And God sees you, he hears your cries, he wants to bring you on a path of healing and he wants his glory to be reflected in you and in your life. And he wants to use your voice to help others go on the path of healing. So you matter, and your story matters, and your pain matters, and your healing matters. Well, I think along those lines, there's
1: some mixed messages that we're hearing, right, as women too. Like, I was told as a kid, you gotta hide your body from other people so that you're not causing other men to stumble. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there's like, wait a minute, I have have feelings of my own, and I don't really get to digest those because I'm having to deal with other people's Mm -hmm. looking and lusting over what may possibly happen, right?
2: Yeah, and so we get that, and then we have this other message that's coming from culture that sounds something like, all right, women, come and reclaim your power. If men can act this way, then women, you sure can too. And these messages, I think, are born out of this place of hurt and years and years and years of just experiencing objectification, but then it's this overcorrection that's coming from that. So instead of just simply empowering women and saying, hey, you are as important as men and you, have, you are a whole person and you have value and worth and purpose, uh, all, which is all true, culture just simply says this to women now of, hey, if men can masturbate, so can you. And if men can watch porn, so can you. And if men can go have one night stands and not experience shame from culture, then so can you. And that's off, it's broken. There's this line that's out of one of my favorite movies where the strong female character actually, she gets up and she says, after centuries of men looking at my chest instead of my eyes and pinching my butt instead of shaking my hand, I now have the divine right to look at a man's backside with cheap and vulgar appreciation. And that makes me want to stand to my feet, if I'm honest, and applaud her. And there's a reason why I have that memorized. But we also have to take a step back from that and ask ourselves, what are we celebrating in that? Mm -hmm. Do I believe in women women standing up for themselves and using their voice to stand up for themselves? Yes, absolutely. I think many of us would. But do I believe that the way to do that is by taking pleasure and cheap pleasure and looking at a good-looking person and do that? Actually no. I don't think that is a way of standing up for myself. You see, there's a way that culture speaks to us that seems right. But if we don't pay attention to what we're actually celebrating or intaking, then we might actually find ourselves celebrating and believing and ingesting ideologies that we don't actually agree with. Or, on the other hand, we're at risk of submitting ourselves to a worldly culture instead of submitting ourselves to the design of our Creator.
0: It's like guys have gotten away with it for so long, objectifying other women, and and the answer is not, oh yeah, women just you just do it do it the same way mm-hmm. now. So both of those are brought into critique. Both of those perspectives are brought into critique by uh, you know the standard that God gives us for what is sexually pure, and there is a common belief in our culture that you cannot have a good life if you are not sexually and romantically fulfilled. You just you, your life will stink unless you're getting yours. you got to be getting yours. And the onslaught of that message is powerful and it's pervasive and it's devious. And frankly, most of us believe it. Um, Even if we're maybe telling ourselves, well, no, I'm not acting out on it in any kind of physical relationship, but we're, you know, we're taking those thoughts in and we're letting our thoughts go and uh, trying to find that satisfaction in whatever kind of way. Could we reflect for a moment on like the thing beneath the thing? We've talked, we're we're not psychologists, we're not posturing ourselves in that way, but I think it is fair, like we've talked with all of these habits, they are often a symptom of something deeper, something else is going on, and could you speak, you know, what have you noticed for lust, what is it maybe a cover for, a coping mechanism for in your experience?
2: Yeah, gosh, it could just... I mean, frankly, it can just be for about anything. I mean, all of us are flawed people that were raised by flawed people in a world full of flawed people. And so uh, there's just brokenness all around. And many of us have unfortunately developed mental illnesses and emotional illnesses as a result of the pain and brokenness in this world. Uh, And we all have this desire, whether we know it or not, to be known and seen and cared for and appreciated and respected. And I think it's pretty safe to say that every single person in this room and every single person listening online has felt misunderstood and overlooked and mistreated and underappreciated and disrespected. And as a result, that leaves cracks and holes inside of all of us as a result of being wounded in these ways, and we seek for things of this world to fill in those cracks and those holes. And so some of us enjoy the attention, some of us want to feel good and feel that endorphin rush. Uh, some of us want to feel connected to something even though we know it's not real. Uh, some of us want to dream of a world and a reality that's just different than the one we're living because we're so discontent with our lives. Or some of us just want to feel the sense of power or control because everything else in our life feels, makes us feel so powerless and out of control. And there's so much more. That's just the tip of the iceberg for that. But what's important and what's vital for all of us to do, which is what I think we're trying to accomplish in this series, is to set aside space and time in our lives to be able to understand why we desire the things that we desire and why we crave the things that we crave and why we're drawn to these things. And that's really hard work. It's scary work. No, nobody wants to do that for fun. But It's important and it's necessary work if we want to get off the hamster wheels and break the cycles that we're living in. And so when we do that, when we create that space, we need to approach ourselves in self-reflection with grace and with courage, which is best done in the presence of a loving God who sees you and cares for you and wants to bring you healing in a real way. Not just healing from your lustful desires, but the thing that has caused all of our natural sexual desires to become disordered. Yeah, I hear you talking about those things
1: that could cause us to do that. And I'm thinking about the girls that I so, like, graciously have had the chance to lead and walk them through some of that. They're using their bodies for whatever reason to, to cope, for not getting the attention they want at home or from even a boy at school, or they have a disordered mm-hmm. relationship with their body in the first place. And the misunderstanding that's there that takes place in the girls that I've had the chance to lead is a misunderstanding of the way that sexuality is supposed to be that intimate, the sticky sex, right? That it's supposed to be that way between one person. And that's so hard to walk through, but it's been such an interesting thing to see that not only do they have these, I don't know, what's the way, that it feels like they have this thing that they have to do Mm -hmm. that they've been told is right that doesn't feel right to themselves, but the world is telling them that it is and that's the only way to be. And that is such a twisted way that the world has kind of treated them and I'm sure so many other people Mm -hmm. to use their
0: bodies and taught them how to use Mm -hmm. their bodies. Yeah, I was watching and listening to some things from Jackie Hill Perry in preparation for this, particularly if you search YouTube, Jackie Hill Perry sexuality or Jackie Hill Perry pornography. In the first one, she's talking about her own journey and she's very candid there about uh, being someone who has been always, as far as she can remember, and still is, sexually attracted to women, and she pursued relationships with women for a while. uh, She's married to a man now, and she's just honest about all different facets of life, growing up in the church, leaving the church, and trying to think through identity and sexuality and desire and faith and obedience, and it's really rich stuff. And then in one about pornography, she's with her husband, Preston, and they have a very open conversation about it. I was intrigued by a lot of it, but particularly, they talked about how for men, they're very, we're very visual creatures, and so lust is mediated through what we see, and I can resonate a lot with that. But uh, for women, erotic novels are much better sellers among women, and so lustful thoughts may be mediated through what is read. And then secondly, for men, the thing beneath the thing can often be about this insecurity and this desire for acceptance because the porn girl never says no. Like you're gonna get what you want, there is no risk of rejection there and that is motivating for a guy. For women, the alluring thing in uh, some of those erotic novels is the main character is often this like strong, assertive, sometimes domineering character and there's no perceived weakness there and so that That promotes feelings of security, and that's what what draws them in. So anyway, again, I'm not a psychologist, none of us are, but those I think are helpful insights for all of us. All of us are capable at some level, and if you need professional help to to dig in, then by all means do that. But we can all reflect on the, the things that are motivating us that may be underneath, and the things that push us into that cycle. Ben talked about that last week. Uh, we've, we experience that angst or some discontent and we go to, to something for relief. Something is motivating that. And if we go to porn, number one, or, or lust, it's not going to satisfy. And number two, there's probably something else that is motivating that that's deeper. And that's the thing that needs to be healed by Jesus. And again, last week, I thought we were able to give some really helpful tools to, uh, to speak to that. So will try to bring this home. And figure out, so what do we do about all of this? And I just invite you first, what would you want to say to someone battling lust, either by way of encouragement or some practical advice? uh, How would you want to talk to someone?
1: Well, I think first is we're all on this journey in some way, shape or form. It might look differently for you than it does for me, but we're all doing the same thing together. And we're all called to that same standard, no matter what, we're all striving for that. But I think also that, it, yes, this thing feels heavy. It feels like it's got a lot of weight to it. But there's also room for coming back from that Mm -hmm. ledge, coming back from that. There's no space that's too, gosh, empty, too void of God Mm -hmm. that you can't come back from. Even in a struggle with lust that feels so shameful, Mm -hmm. you can come back from that.
0: Yeah. You know what else has a lot of weight is God's love and Mm -hmm. grace. That has a lot of weight, too, and we need to sense the gravity of that. Yes.
2: Oh, that's so beautiful. And... For me, like, I, have ho- I just have hope for us. I have hope for us as a community. I have hope for the church. Uh, just by even having this conversation right now, I have hope that we can continue to have a dialogue that brings our hidden shame into light, which means that God and community get to be a part of the healing process. Our sexuality, as many of us know, all of us know, is one of those areas that we like to keep really private. We like to keep it close to the chest. And as Christians, we're just really guilty of shaming others and shaming ourselves around the subject of sexuality. And and I think some of that is we just haven't really been well-equipped of how to have an honest and vulnerable and redemptive conversation around lust and sexuality and purity. And we haven't figured it out. We're figuring it out in process, too. And we hope and encourage all of us, like, let's try to figure out how to have this dialogue and take these shameful things that are in the dark and bring it into the light of Christ for some healing. Mm -hmm. And I have hope for our future. Uh, So let's confess that we haven't done a great job here as, as our first step. And then ask God to help us humbly seek a new path forward for ourselves and for this church. And let's have this vision in mind together that let's strive to be a light in this world. And ask God to help us grow in confession and repentance and conversation and vulnerability and ultimately to a place of growing in righteousness.
0: So that's reminding me, if I was going to say just real practically, what do we all need? Well, we need healthy, intimate relationships, mm-hmm. high trust, and open dialogue. Mm-hmm. And that's where support and accountability can come from. Uh, you know, like you're saying, Sarah, I, I, we need people who know and love God and know and love us. Mm-hmm. That we can, that, or, or that they can hold space for this conversation. You guys have used that term before. I, I, I think that's exactly Right. we should be able to enter into that kind of a dialogue where we can confess. And if you're looking for a relationship, like being in a group or joining a serving team are great Mm -hmm. ways to meet people. Not that you're necessarily going to have to talk about that every time, but you're at least going to have a relationship with someone uh, that is hopefully like-minded, walking in the same way of Jesus with you. And you need to find someone with whom you can establish a helpful rhythm of meeting, whether it's kind of the AA way of a phone call every morning (laughs) or a a weekly or a monthly kind of rhythm of meeting together and, you know, going there in the conversation. You know, rooted the the rooted groups we have the overcoming strongholds is like a discipline that works into the rhythm of our our meeting together and we're going to talk about that and if sexual uh temptation is a stronghold in your life we're going to talk about that and uproot it and invite god into it in the presence of other people and then you're part of our, our ministry discipleship team care ministry there's some specific outlets there too
2: Yes, yeah, so we have this amazing care ministry here as part of our discipling ministry here. And so uh, we have a, different, a variety of different care groups that you can look and see if there's one that's a good fit for you. But also we have a strong partnership with a lot of local counseling places here too. And so by reaching out to our care team, which would be at Mountain CC, yeah, you can see over the website right there, mountaincc.org care, uh, you can see what the different group options are, but also you can get connected with our care team that can help, to, help you discern what is your next step. Mm -hmm. Uh, to pursue healing in this way?
0: It should be a normal thing for us to have this kind of dialogue, and we need trusted people with whom we can do that. Second thing I would say, we need some hedges of protection. And this is just some basic stuff like locks on computers and TVs and stuff. So I've used Covenant Eye software for a long time on all of my computers and my phone, and my it monitors my internet activity, and my wife is one of my accountability partners, and she gets a report of everything I do online all the time, and oh great, there's smart TVs, and the software doesn't work on smart TVs, so that's a little harder, so now I gotta have passwords on all the apps on the smart TV, and I, it's, you know, I gotta get my wife to do that. She knows the password, because she can maintain purity without, uh, you know with having access to that, and I can't. And it's kind of embarrassing because I got to really tell her, like, here's all the ways that I would beat the system. Um, So you got to make sure all these things are locked down. And uh, my 13-year-old daughter knows some of the passwords and can can have access to stuff that I can't even do. And we monitor her activity, but I just can't be in the presence of unmonitored access to the Internet. I just can't.
2: And, I mean, I just respect, too, your openness and vulnerability with your wife and your partner on this, too. It's 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 admirable for you guys to have that open communication. I know this other married couple uh, that shared one time, they they have a, um, unfortunately, unfortunately, have infidelity as part of their story. But as a result, they have open communication by way of syncing up their phone. So every single thing that is on his phone is on her phone and vice versa. And that, just that open dialogue sure. helps bring security, I think, into if, the relationship.
0: If you're single, then support will have to come from a friend. Mm-hmm. And you may do some practical things like don't have a smart TV or get rid of HBO Max subscriptions or get rid of the erotic novels uh, or, you know, even your social media. It's feeding you stuff that is based on what you've kind of told it you like. Right. And maybe you need to just have a trusted friend and show it to them and say, do you think this is God-honoring and good for my soul? And, you know, you need to set it so it's feeding you the right and I'll even right interject, self.
2: too. I mean, what Scripture says, too, is like, if your right hand is causing your left hand to sin, cut off the arm. And I mean, it, it's... Uh, is that what you're recommending? What?
0: Is that what you're recommending?
2: <laughs> no. Oh. I mean, literally you cut off fear. your arms. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what we should do.
0: Yeah. But I
2: mean, it, if, if it's necessary, there's no shame in saying, I need to just eliminate all of my accounts mm-hmm. because this, I, it's just not good and it's not fueling and feeding yeah.
1: me. Right. And talking about that, that's setting a boundary for yourself. Mm-hmm. There's something so important about you setting those own boundaries and then having somebody walk that with you. I don't know anybody else's threshold for anything else, mm-hmm. but you do. And then you can find someone that can walk that with you. That's such an important piece, too. Yeah.
0: You know what your triggers are. Right. Right. And so, oh, it's not porn, but I mean, you know what it's doing inside your mind and your heart if you're seeing some images activating there. Mm-hmm. And just all the stuff, like every man's battle stuff, I still remember, you know, bounce your eyes, you know, so you, uh, starve the wolf, um, which is, uh, you know, a fun phrase because it is like a wolf inside of you, you know, taking every thought captive and those mm-hmm. kind of things and and if you want some help this week again every week trying to just provide some encouragement throughout the week text habit to oh, what is what is it is there a, yeah, there it is, 877-622-1824. Just send some encouragement along to you throughout the week, which will come on your phone, which maybe that's been a source of temptation and pain for you, and hopefully it can be a source of good things through that encouragement. So we need healthy relationships, hedges of protection. We also need some habits to strengthen our relationship with the Lord. And that's really, God is the one that can save and can fix. Other people can't fix you. Mm-hmm. Getting a spouse isn't gonna fix you. It's not gonna, it's not gonna solve this issue. For you, uh, We've got to be going to the Lord in prayer and disciplining ourselves to be in the word and be reminded of how deeply God loves us to return to Jesus and to be filled with the spirit. Again, the spirit wants to dwell in us and we can quench that and squash that or we can invite more of the spirit to bear fruit through us. We've got to stay connected to, to the church community and doing the things that we're doing this week. Again, last week's message, that cycle, you know that I see it, I want it, I take it. We've got to interrupt that. So yeah, I see it and that's when I've got to introduce something else into that cycle when I'm calling Scripture to mind or I'm inviting the Spirit's presence, I'm going to God, I'm calling a friend so that I don't get in that cycle that just ends in everything bad. The Spirit of God wants to lead us in the way of life, a fulfilling life that doesn't just feast on empty calories, but it it gives us something of substance that can sustain us, and so we got to invite other people to support us in prayer and uh, just acknowledge that This is something we need help on and deal with it in the light because you can't deal with it in the dark. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hint, hint. All right. Well, um, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. It's not everything, but it is a lot. And if after all of that, the the shame feels even more intense, like that has grown, well, then let that drive you to Jesus. Let that drive you to people uh, in your church community, people who know and love God and can know and love you and express that. Because you're not too far gone. You're not beyond repair. The, the shame that you're carrying is not too big for God. You're not unique in this. God's not looking at you going, wow, I've never seen anything like that before. <laughs> uh, I mean, that, it's something he can handle and we can handle it as a community to walk with you. You, you can have these conversations. Mm-hmm. You can deal with these habits in the presence of Christ and in community with this church. And so in whatever ways... The Spirit is prompting you. May you have the courage to respond and let him lead you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the ways that you are at work among us. And we right now invite you into this conversation, and we invite you into our very presence in our midst, and we invite you into those places, yes, between the ears and in the heart. All of those uh, nooks and crannies where lust wants to lodge itself and tell us that we can't live without it, that we need it to survive, or that we've got to go and take action on that, or or things just won't be right. No, God, we're ready to say we're trusting you for what's right and for what's good. And so in all the ways that we need to repent, I pray that you would teach us and show us those things. Give us the courage to be honest, to confess and repent. Uh, Strengthen uh, relationships, in particular marriage relationships that may be... Um, be threatened by the presence of sexual temptation. Give couples the courage to hold on to one another and to hold on to you and to trust you as they walk through maybe some difficult conversations. But I pray that we have the courage to say what we need to say to you and to one another. And would you redeem us and restore us and speak to us even in our shame and call us to something better. Call us out of the habits that would kill us and fill us with your spirit who gives life. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.